Have you ever wanted something for a long time? I mean, a really long time. And then gotten it and found out that it's not that great? There's a whole website dedicated to this kind of thing. One person wrote, during my 16th birthday, I had whooping cough, but my parents still wanted to have a party, which I couldn't attend. So I stayed in the basement as my family had a party upstairs. They lit a very small candle on top of one piece of cake and slid it through the cat door. And I ate it at the top of the cellar stairs. Another person wrote, when I was seven, I went to the table to blow out my candles and my brother tried slamming my face in my cake, but missed the cake and literally just slammed my face against the table. I started crying. I got blood all over my cake. This happened again when I was nine. <laughs> what do you do when you've been looking forward to something for a long time, only to have it arrive and be incredibly underwhelming? I think that might be where we pick up in Mark chapter four. Jesus is addressing a crowd outside on the lake shore and tons of people have gathered to hear him. Every one of them are familiar with what a kingdom looks like. After all, they live in the shadow of the biggest one, the empire of Rome. They're crushed by the power and the might and the resources of Rome. And they're gathering because Jesus and the stuff he's been doing, healing the sick, healing the blind, proclaiming good news, feels like the kind of things that were promised when God was in charge. Legions of soldiers march around and put them in their place. Some of their own people have sold them out to be tax collectors. They work all day for wages that are less than what they deserve. Things are not as they should be. This is not what God has promised. And so the lakeshore was full that day, full of some people who maybe heard about the fishes and loaves and were looking for free lunch. Maybe some people who heard that Jesus was a really good storyteller and had nothing better to do on a weekday afternoon, but mostly by people who had been crushed down inside by the everyday routine of their life and were hoping that maybe this teacher can finally tell them what God's been up to instead of delivering them. Hoping he can answer the question that burns in all their hearts. What force is God willing to deploy that will finally overtake the Roman legions that keep their boots on our neck. And then Jesus starts telling a parable about a sower who plants some seed on all kinds of soil, some of it rocky, some of it filled with thorns, some of it on a path, some of it on good soil. They're, they listen to this and they're interested kind of in it because they live in a farming community. And then Jesus says, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? And their ears prick up. This is, after all, why they've shown up. And then Jesus continues, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds on the earth. But then it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Bushes are fine. Nothing wrong with a solid shrub. My neighbor has taught me all sorts of technical names for bushes because she loves gardening. And I can never remember them all. So I've just remembered five bush families. There are big bushes, small bushes, sculpted bushes, 
prickly bushes and George bushes. <laughs> nothing against bushes, nothing wrong. But can you imagine how disappointing it would be to go from imagining the kingdom of God as a military power or a leader calling fire down from heaven on the people who have oppressed you to find out that the person that's supposed to be closest to the kingdom of God can only describe it as a shrub. And not only a shrub, a mustard seed, a seed that you can plant in the soil and return back to that same spot of earth the next day and step right over it, never knowing anything was there. I can imagine some of the people that had come in that crowd that were most hurt that day by Jesus' words, turning to their friends and saying, what's the point of the kingdom of God if it's so small you can't even see it? I've heard that feeling echoed in my own heart and mind. I can remember growing up in church and hearing people say things like, this is such a foretaste of the kingdom of God, or this is what it means to live in the kingdom. And I remember people usually said this in a church service when the lights were on and the fog machines are rolling. And so for most of my life, when I've thought of the kingdom of God, I've imagined moments where there was high energy, where I got chills down my spine, where singing the words in worship songs seemed effortless because I believed them simply. I've imagined spaces, cathedrals, or church services, or time and devotion that seemed somehow disconnected, set apart from my everyday life. And so I see Jesus speaking to a crowd full of people who are looking for their experience of the kingdom of God to appear big and powerful and shiny and important and different from the rest of their life. And I look on the lake shore in that crowd and I see my face. Do you see your face too? When you think about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, does your mind wander toward your neighborhood, toward your circle, toward your spending habits, toward the way you treat and think about the people that you would rather avoid? Does your definition of the kingdom of God propel you to look into the earthy soil of your own life and see what's growing there? Or have you come to believe as I did and most days still do? that the kingdom of God is primarily found in things that make noise. I spent much of my life thinking that God's after people who can do spectacular and big things on his behalf, or if they can't, can at least get goosebumps in worship services. Nothing wrong with those things. It turns out that's not what God's after by itself. God's after good soil people and communities who are well-equipped to receive and to cultivate in their life the habits, the attitudes, the priorities that God has. Not people who let just anything in and live most of their life based on the average of other people's opinion about what they should do. That's the thorny soil. It lets everything in and the weeds grow the fastest. Not people who say, I'm just going to do it my way, no matter what anybody else thinks, who look down on anybody who doesn't share their theology or their politics or their thoughts about how life works and who, in the process of looking down on these people, banish from their life many people God would use to grow them. That's the soil along the path. So hardened that when God presses the gospel in, they just can't receive it. 
not people who hear God's call and say yes up to a point until God calls them to do something costly to their lifestyle, their reputation, or their preferences. They'll be obedient until God calls them to move too far away from the people they love or spend their money in a different way than they'd prefer to. And then the gospel will grow down to a point until it hits something that's a more solid priority in their life. That's the rocky soil. God's hoping for good soil. So I've wondered as I read Mark, how do we become that kind of community? How do we become those kinds of people? Let's look back at the text. It says, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it. And they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So if you want to practice being good soil, build your life, your schedule, your budget, your friendships around one, hearing the voice of God, and two, saying yes when God invites you into what the Spirit is doing. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? It's not. The way Jesus tells this parable based on the law of averages, it seems that most people, three and four of us, if we listen to Jesus and Mark, won't deeply accept the things God is doing or build their life around hearing him and saying yes. But those who do keep multiplying, they live such fruitful lives that they drop seeds in other lives and reproduce what God has planted in them 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. If I can have a living room chat with you in a very big and well-decorated living room, this is what we've been after with the Midoe series. We've been wondering what would happen if we learned that the kingdom of God is not so much in the big and the spectacular as it is in the earthy. The under the surface things that weave under our habits and our priorities. We've been wondering what it would be like if we as a community found that the manifestation of God on earth is not found primarily when the fog machines are rolling, but in a group of people who say yes with their whole lives when God asked them to be loving servants, faithful to him and to the people God's called them to love. We've wondered, what if our families and small groups and friend circles could be the kinds of communities that heard and lingered with God over his dreams for our neighbors and then lingered with our neighbors long enough to see those dreams come true? I think building that kind of community would probably require us to start a few new habits or new ways of doing things. But I think more than likely, what it would actually require is new ways of doing stuff we're already engaged in. Not so much as starting new stuff, but relating differently to the stuff that we're already doing. Spending time on our front porch listening to the neighbors near us, listening to our kids or our mentees or our colleagues and asking them, how are they really doing? And then being attentive when they tell us. Those are things that are just as small as mustard seeds, aren't they? They're so little. But that's how the kingdom of God pushes back against a world obsessed with its own power not by doing noisy things for God, but doing little things that because they're from God, take on a life of their own far beyond what our effort could achieve. Just mustard seed acts of faithfulness.
that's all. Some of my earliest memories with seeds and plants come from my time with my grandfather. He grew up a farmer and he still, at 87 years old, knows how to make anything grow. In his front yard is a great big lamppost that's covered in ivy, very lion, the witch, in the wardrobe. Every time I'd play catch in their front yard, I'd lose lose at least three tennis balls in it. I remember one time losing a Frisbee about this big and having to hunt for three minutes for it. And I can remember one time being out in the front yard with this leafy green plant, throwing a Frisbee by myself because I was homeschooled and loving it. And that that ivy uh, caught the Frisbee and I lost it again. And so my grandfather came out and he said, you know, you don't have to worry about that for long. That ivy's going to be dead by midsummer." And as a homeschooler who did love it, I, 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 this, this ivy was a friend to me, another living thing. And uh, I said, I can't believe it. I pushed back and I said, it can't be dying. Look at the leaves, they're beautiful. And I could still remember him in his old work cap looking at me and saying, man, plants, plants can look green long after the soil's gone bad. Oh no, <laughs> I think that's true of people too. It's possible for us to look decent on the surface without admitting that underneath we're getting less and less healthy. Maybe we were good soil at once. Sometime we were. But over time, maybe the hardest challenge of the parable of the good soil for those of us who have been in church for a while is to stop pretending that we're good soil when in fact we're rocky we're hardened, and we're full of thorns. We pretend we agree with loving the poor, but if we're honest, we don't even know anybody who is poor that we don't see as a project. We act like forgiveness for our enemies is what we believe, but we don't do anything kind for people who hurt us. We nod our heads at the deep need for unity. Yes, that's good, that's good. And then we gossip about somebody in our friend group who we disagree with as soon as they leave the room. We think we're kingdom first people. We can't imagine giving more than an hour or two of our free time to things like serving in the community, being among the poor, or lingering with God in prayer right in our own home. Sometimes the greatest obstacle to becoming the kind of people God's called us to be is to stop pretending that we're that kind of person already. At their worst, though, I think Christian communities are full of the temptation to do that, aren't they? to focus more on the way things look than the way things are. But Christian communities at their best remind us along with Jesus that the point isn't to be soil that looks good. It's to be soil that is good. And that often requires admitting when the rocks and the thorns have gotten in. Later that same summer in my grandparents' house, I went back and sure enough, that ivy was dead. I was traumatized my first first loss of a friend. My grandfather had had planted some new sprigs around the lamppost. I barely noticed them, but I did notice them after I squished them with my feet while throwing Frisbee again and running around their yard. Almost pulled them when I was weeding because I thought they were weeds. But here we are years later, and when I went back to their house this past Christmas, I found that lamppost covered again. Sometimes the most important and most durable and most vibrant growth happens over time. When little things, small as a sprig or a mustard seed, gain a life of their own. 
I keep wondering how we can practice this as a community. I talked to somebody about this sermon earlier this week, and they said, well, we, we need to be reminded that unless somebody tills up our soil alongside us, we're just soiling ourselves. So there's the, there's the pitch for small group. Join a community. Don't soil yourself. So this morning, I'd like to ask us, as has been our practice over these past several weeks, a couple questions and offer you practices that don't so much give you just more stuff to do. I think we all have enough things to do, but maybe can change your relationship with the things that you're doing already. The first question is, where by yourself and with your community are you finding spaces to hear from God? If you're like me, I think sometimes even when I carve out this time, which isn't as often as I'd like it to be, I walk away unsure of whether or not I've heard from God. That's where community comes in. Spend time both by yourself and with community hearing from God. And as a friend of mine in college told me, even if you walk away from every time of prayer, having heard nothing, you can look at the example of Jesus and find practices you know he's called you to do that you're not doing right now. Love your neighbor. Get free from your obsession with possessions. Make space at your table for your enemy. Listen and learn from the brokenhearted. Pray for other people's healing. God can't help but meet you along the way. If you hear nothing else from God but that, you'll have a lifetime's worth of work. The practice for that one is just to, while you're doing an everyday habit this week, it could be brushing your teeth, it could be taking the first bite of a meal, getting a shower, use that time to ask the Lord to help you hear his voice. Something you're already doing. Two, what is taking root in your life these days? One of the benefits I think of pandemic time has been that some of the planes that were busy on our flight schedules per se are now grounded. Some of the commitments that we've had before are at least different, if not gone. And so as we have more time at home, we can reflect on what we spend so much time trying to avoid with our commitments, tending to our soul and seeing what's growing there. Maybe for you, it's the gospel and you're finding that God is digging in the soil of your life and uprooting habits that have been there for a long time, that if you're honest, shouldn't have been, and you can't ignore them. But maybe there's tension growing in you instead. You're home around people more. It's an election year. Your unfollow list on Facebook is growing long and there's a tightness in your chest that you can't avoid. This has been me over the past few months. Ask somebody in your community, here's the practice. Ask somebody in your community, what do you notice growing in me over the past few months or year? The third is how might God call your community to fruitfulness? I'm reminded again at how small the kingdom of God looks in action, but how much God multiplies from it. You'd be surprised what God can do with a note of encouragement, a one-on-one with your child or a mentee who is, in which you teach them how to pray, teach, uh, teaching somebody you mentor how to lead somebody to Christ, shoveling a driveway for a neighbor so they don't have to, buying your friend or coworker a book you know will bless them, lingering in prayer over another person's dreams, lingering when you ask somebody how they're doing and communicating that you really want to know. Small as mustard seeds. 
but God can grow it into something significant. Things that uproot the rocks and the soil of your life. So the practice for this one is to talk with your community, people who know you most, about mustard seed size acts of faithfulness you can commit to do together. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that the small things are often not the ones we look for, but are really the big things. Over and over, we disconnect our spirituality, it seems, from the earthiness of everything else in our lives. And so we ask for your help, Holy Spirit. We ask that you'd quicken our hearts to invite the gospel deeper, deeper into our lives. Make us people who, when you speak, are quick to hear, quick to accept, people in whom the gospel takes roots and lasts and multiplies us 30, 60, 100 times what was sown in us. It's in the strong name of Jesus who does that work that we pray.